You are listening to episode 514 of the Latina Mom Legacy podcast. As the new year approaches, it's time to start looking at schools. What does enrolling your kids in a dual immersion program or elementary school look like? What are things you should look for and how should you prepare? In this episode, four years later, we revisit with Latina Mom of Two and former Mi Legacy blog contributor, Lizzie rodriguez Clark. Join us as we talk about dual immersion schools in the U.S. and offer you tips on what you should do if you want to consider a dual language school for your child. Plus, Lizzie shares some of her favorite tradiciones navideñas. Yo, a bilingual parenting educator, author, and multilingual parenting mom, Jenny Perez, te invito as we take a closer look. Así que no te lo pierdas. Hola, hola, ¿cómo estás? I hope that you're doing well. I hope the life is treating you kind. Welcome to another episode of the Latina Mom Legacy Podcast. I am your host, Jenny Pérez. A little sniffly today. I apologize. I came down with um, some sort of like 24-hour bug or cold, so <laughs> bear with me. Real quick, if you want to connect with me, you can follow me at Mi Legacy, spelled M-I-L-E-G-A-S-I on Instagram or the Latina Mom Legacy. Hit me up in the DM. Say hi. Sin pena, sin pena. We have started our 12 Days of Toys giveaway. We are announcing the winners. So if you have entered or if you entered the giveaway and you are in the U.S., please be sure to check your emails daily from now until December 12th because every day we are picking daily winners. A big shout out to all of our partner toy brands that participated with us. It was a huge success. We had over 800 entries, guys, over 800 entries. So if you're a lucky winner, you're lucky. <laughs> Quick shout out to my Spotify listeners and specifically to Pris84 that left this lovely comment on last week's episode. She wrote, love this episode. I love the idea of listening to holiday music in Spanish. It's hard to be consistent, but I think that speaking Spanish while using the activities my two-year-old enjoys will make it fun. Yes, this is the perfect time to make it fun for our kids, to make those memories, to make those core recuerdos, to sing, to dance, to cook. This is a perfect time for them to embrace embrace Espanol and to really have that positive language connection. So Pris, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And if you want to leave a comment now on Spotify, you can leave comments in the show notes and I will be happy to share them with the world because we are a global podcast. So this week I got Spotify wrapped. And for those Spotify listeners, you know that wrapped kind of gives you like everything that you listen to in the year, your top hits. But for podcasters, it gives us insights into our listeners. And it's wonderful because it's really a great way for us podcasters to understand how you engage with the podcast because that's something that we don't necessarily know unless we do like a lot of digging in and research. And to be honest, I'm a mom with a job with lots of things to do and like who has time to do that, right? <laughs> But let me tell you what was shared with us. So Spotify wrapped for the Latina Mom Legacy this year shared with us that the podcast was streamed in 21 countries this year. So that's amazing. So thus far, since the podcast has been on, we've streamed in a total of 73. Three, 73 países. 73 países is like, what? Así que los latinos estamos en todas partes del mundo. Si están sintonizando de cualquier esquinita del mundo, no estás sola, no estás solo, estás conmigo, estamos contigo. Así que mil gracias por sintonizar. A thousand thanks for tuning in every week to the Latina Mom Legacy or whenever I put them out. <laughs> also, the podcast was shared 68% of the time. And I love that. I love that because it means that you 
are sharing the content. You find the content valuable and you are sharing it with your amigas, with your amigos, with your family. And that's a way that we can build our community. And also it's a great way to empower our community and promote language learning and promote our cultura, right? Now, the most shared episode of the year was episode 470 with Jesse Beltran, which is a guide to Spanish immersion preschools, which is perfect because today we're talking about a Spanish immersion schools for children, right? So I think this is a good like part two of that. That was like for the preschool. This is like when you're getting ready to get the kids into elementary school and what you should know. The Latina Mom Legacy is also a top 10 for 102 fans. That is amazing. Así que mil gracias for having me, for sharing me, for listening to the episode. I keep showing up for you. Even when I'm sick, I show up for you. So mil, mil gracias. And finally, the podcast has a rating of 4.8, which is amazing because you can't please everybody. <laughs> so the fact that you are leaving me positive reviews and you value the content and what I put out is really, truly a blessing for me and for the community. It's the reason why I keep showing up. It's the reason why I keep doing this. And it's the reason why I keep going. I keep going. I keep going because I really believe that we have the power to change our future. We have the power to change our Latino legacies. And really, it starts with culture and it starts with language and it starts with values. So I hope that I can bring a lot of that into the podcast and into your home. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mil, mil gracias. Today, I have Lizzie Rodriguez Cart. Lizzie has been an amazing person, supporter. She was a blog contributor for Mi Legacy. And also she was on episode three, Dia de los Muertos. Like that's how far back we go. <laughs> I'm happy to touch base with her because time has passed because el tiempo pasa super rápido and time has passed and I wanted to get an update and see how her kids were doing and we're talking dual immersion programs así que everything you wanted to know we're covering for you enjoy your Christmas shopping and tune us in while, while you're in the car waiting in traffic <laughs> espero que te guste chao chao hi Lizzie welcome back to the show como estas Hola, Jani. Qué gusto verte nuevamente. It's been four years since you've last been on. Can you believe? Ya pasaron cuatro años. Increíble. No, no me la puedo creer. I mean, we should ditch the two of the pandemic as those never happened. <laughs> it's been a while. So Lizzie has been a lovely person. She's been a blog contributor to Mi Legacy. She has also helped me a lot over the years. And she's also raising bilingual children. And when your kids were on, they were much younger. They weren't in school yet. So give us an update. How old are the kids now? And how is family life? Oh my gosh. Can you believe they're six and seven? My daughter is actually going to turn eight in January 2nd. So pretty much I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. They are in first grade and second grade. So elementary big kids now. It's insane. <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's still obviously busy. It's now a lot of them after school stuff, like whether it's enrichment, whether it's having sports and whatnot. And I mean, you're the hockey mom running around, you know what it is. So for us, it's the kids love tennis. They love swimming. We're doing run. So it's that busy busy sports life also on the back end for the kids and then just juggling everything around. <laughs> I always tell them that they need their own virtual assistant to just like get their own schedules together. <laughs> no, I know. So what we do is we have a wall calendar, like a magnetic calendar, family calendar on the refrigerator. And Victoria will go in and write all of her activities because 
It's a lot. I mean, we still put it on our Google shared calendar, but sometimes it's good just to have it visually, but I make lo que está pasando. And it's like a reminder. Okay, remember, this is going on. And she's really good about like, mom, remember we have this. And I'm like, okay, mija, okay. <laughs> el que nosotros compramos es el Skylight. No sé si has visto su versión. Oh. It came out as just being a virtual picture holder, if you will. Right? Mm -hmm. So like you could send pictures and whatnot. Ya el año pasado salieron con una nueva versión y ahora es un calendario y también pues you can keep sending your pictures. So whenever you don't need a calendar, it's just displaying pictures, mostly like your computer display. It just like starts rotating pictures and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But then you can also have it as a calendar. Lo mismo, no es está ahí como visual y también así para poder tenerlo en el calendario para Tony, para mi esposo, para mí. Y los niños pueden poner ahí también, van y como es touchscreen, vas y lo puedes hacer ahí mismo también. Poner, oh, eh, chévere. ¿Y cómo se llama? Está bonito. Eh, Skylight. Si quieres, luego te mando el link para que los compartamos ahí con Sí, está bien interesante. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, let's talk about specific methods that you're using to raise your children bilingually. We are going to be talking about, because I know that you have them in dual immersion schools. Aside from that, how are you speaking to them at home? Like what method or methods are you using with your husband? So it's, we're not like strictly adhering to it, but we do mm -hmm. try to do more opal just because now that they're in school, they're obviously, they had a little bit of a catch up in terms of English, right? Like my kids did not speak anything but Spanish at home and either and their preschool was the Spanish immersion preschool. My nanny was from the DR as well. So everything was Spanish up until they get it. Actually, up until the pandemic hit, to be honest, mm -hmm. they would not speak English. They would hear it whenever we were with my husband's family. And I think they started understanding from there, but they really didn't speak it. So now that we're in school to make sure that we're keeping up with both languages, we're trying to do OPPO and especially trying to do so Tony will be the one really helping out in like the English if they have a certain assignment to do in English or if it's like, hey, the 20 minute read and they and they chose an English book to practice. I'll stick to Spanish and same thing for, for reading and writing to stick in just into Spanish. That's obviously the most that we can try to do. It's not mm -hmm. always perfect but as much as possible. So they went to Spanish immersion preschool. And then when your daughter, who's the oldest, when she was ready to go to school, how did you make that decision to put her in a dual immersion school? Like, how did you know that was going to be the right choice for your family? So to me, it was a no-brainer because that's mm -hmm. how I was raised in Mexico. As you recall, I'm born and raised in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. And down in Mexico, not all of them, but a lot of the private schools tend to be bilingual schools and tend to have this bilingual 50-50 model. So we usually have half of the day in Spanish, half of the day in English. We have two teachers, one for Spanish, one for English. And then you have the specials and everything else, right? Um, we are very fortunate and we were actually not just fortunate per se, but we we made a conscious decision of mm -hmm. where we were going to leave because of the program that is offered here. Mm -hmm. And the program that is offered here up to last, up to this year, sorry, and, and I'll get a little bit more into that. But up to this year, the program that was offered here in this county is the 50-50 model bilingual school. There's two of them in the county because it's a big county. So there's two of them, depending on what side of the county you live, you go to one or the other. They're both really good schools. It is also one of the most prestigious 
counties in terms of school zones and how the schools rate at a national level. So that also kind of like covered that concern, mm-hmm. if you will. So to me, it was really just a no-brainer. It just, the kids were just going to be in a bilingual school. Now, fortunately for us, it also worked out. It, our kids have not struggled to this point. They have not had any challenges that had made us have to sit or think if we need to reevaluate or anything. So mm-hmm. up to this point, we have not seen that. Um, if that were the case, we would absolutely, at the end of the day, is the well-being of a child first. But to us, it was just like, it was really a no-brainer. This is how I was raised in, in Mexico and, and we wanted to continue that way. Now, just for reference, what state do you live in? We're in Virginia. In the state of Virginia. And you said there are two schools, two dual immersion schools in the county. Are there a lot of schools there for dual immersion or no? Actually, yes. In Virginia, there are several counties. It is not the only county. There are several counties that offer the program. It is offered in different flavors, if you will, or in different Mm -hmm. varieties. The specific advantage that we also saw here is that usually immersion programs are only offered at the elementary school and in this county is offered throughout. So it it goes from Mm -hmm. elementary all the way to high school. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's definitely an advantage. It is. To my knowledge and, and up to recent years, I believe there's only three counties in the whole U.S. that offer from elementary to high school. Oh, wow. And that's kind of sad, to it's be kind honest. Of sad. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, because right. if you it think about sad. it, three in the whole United States, when it's projected that the population is going to be one in four Latinos by 2060, and we only have three bilingual schools up through high school, that's... Yeah, definitely not reflective of the society we live in. But hopefully we're changing that. (laughs) You mentioned that you haven't noticed any challenges really with your children in the dual immersion program. Do they understand the difference of schools that they're in in terms of them being in a school that speaks two languages versus perhaps other friends that only go to a monolingual school? So I don't think they understand the concept per se as described, but they do realize and and, and a lot of what we talk about and a lot of what we reinforce not only at school, but also in our household is that we're bilinguals and that's our superpower and that's what makes us different. And that it's something good because we were able to communicate with so many more people, right? And we're Mm -hmm. able to learn more about other people and other cultures because we're bilingual. But I think they do have the notion that there's, they have their friends at swim school, they have their their friends that here, their little neighbors and whatnot. And, and they they understand that some of, of these kids only speak English, they're monolinguals. And so they understand that's a little bit of a difference. Was your husband on board from the beginning in terms of putting them in a dual immersion school? Because I know that that's not always the case. Yes. No, thankfully, he was always on board. As I mentioned, it was a very conscious decision on where we were going to leave. It was actually something that we did a lot of research, again, in terms of the programs, what was offered, how it was offered. Again, it's our neighboring counties have the program as well. As I mentioned, it's a different flavor. And so it's it really was a lot of research and a lot of learning or on where we wanted to land, because basically that's how we made the decision of, OK, here's where we're going to go and, and live. 
safe then. Did you know anybody that had sent their children to that school prior to you enrolling your kids? We did. We talked to, at the time, current enrolled parents and also other prospective parents just to learn a little bit more about school, learn a little bit more about the community, learn a little bit more about just like any challenges and resources and whatnot. And so that was definitely very helpful. I am now on that other side. Mm -hmm. I'm usually that mom that has other friend moms that are like, hey, so-and-so wants to learn more about the school. Uh, Do you mind if I send them your way? And I'm like, sure. I'm like always eager to talk to them, especially because it's a really good school. It is an, and it's a really awesome community. And so, yes, of course, I would want more people to come over. So my experience with dual immersion schools. So in our county, even though it has a large Hispanic population in a certain part of the county, we'll just say the dual immersion public school was not for me up to the same standards as the regular elementary school. And that was a decision that I went back and forth with a lot because I really wanted her to have that language exposure. But in doing my research and speaking, not necessarily to parents, but to educators, I was really left under the impression that it would be a disservice to my daughter academically to put her in that school. And to me, that was like really sad. And I know that in some counties, it's sort of like some of the dual immersion programs, especially the public programs, are perhaps catered more to non-English speaking students. And the treatment, I feel, is still can be different. We'll just say different for for, (laughs) to keep it politically correct. (laughs) And to me, that's a a big disadvantage, like to the community and to our kids and to parents that really want to raise our children bilingually. Did you have any hesitation in terms of like, were you questioning, like, would their academic standards be up to par with a monolingual school? Yes, absolutely. So it's kind of tough because it is also a county where, again, like most of the elementary schools here, they really rank very high at a national level. So it's kind of like an advantage in that term, because you know that as it is, you're coming into a place where usually the programs are going to be high. They're going to be good. They're going to be high level programs. So that's really good. But I think when we talk about the bilingual schools, we also need to be mindful of everything that needs to be balanced within. Because to your point, if we have the majority of the population being non-English speaking population, then there's a lot of eel that needs to happen to reinforce, to be able to get those kids at par. Because at the end of the day, the kids are going to be evaluated in with the national testing, with the standards now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what my county uses with the standards, for instance. So the teachers have to do a lot of that. And so if the time of teaching is going in a lot into investing, hey, we need to get these kids at par so that they're testing well, or they're testing a little better, then where does that Spanish time comes into play and whatnot? And so I think that's a lot of balancing. I don't know how it's done in other counties. I know this county tries to the best to their ability to, from the get-go, from the mix that they're accepting, it has to be a balance of a 50-50. So 50% of Spanish-speaking households and 50% of English-speaking households. So that balances 
the classes and it's not perfect, of course, it's never going to be just 50-50. But what they try to do is mostly balance the classes so that we then have also this natural kind of like pull, if you will, so that they can pull each other, right? The Spanish-speaking household kids are pulling the non-Spanish-speaking kids to keep progressing within their Spanish to learn new vocabulary and the other way around. And so I think that's the very interesting approach in terms of how we can try to balance a little bit better and make sure that we still have that academic part. If I'm a mom and I want to consider sending my kids to a dual immersion school or program, what advice would you have for them? So I think it's a lot of research on how your county does it. What are the strategies that your county has? What are they doing and how do they support your programs? This episode is brought to you by Confident Bilingual Parenting. Hola, hola, padres increíbles. Welcome to a journey of confident bilingual parenting where we transform doubts into triumphs and fears into confidence. I'm your guide, Jenny Perez, bilingual parenting educator, author, and your biggest cheerleader. Picture this. It's 2015, and I'm standing where you are today, eager to give my daughter the gift of bilingualism. But let me tell you, it wasn't a walk in the park. Living in an English-speaking neighborhood with a non-speaking Spanish husband, I faced unique challenges. Like you, I wanted my child to have a better future connected to her roots and hablando español. And that's when I realized most people fail at raising bilingual kids because they try to fit a mold that doesn't suit their family's dynamics. That's why I created the Confident Bilingual Parenting Course, a unique journey tailored for parents of zero to six years old. We break it down, offering you a proven four-step process to confidently raise a bilingual child in a way that aligns with your family and your child's individual needs. With this course, you'll unlock the secrets and modules like bilingual brilliance, where you ignite your passion for raising a bilingual child and unlocking linguistic potential, where you you tap into your child's natural learning abilities, and you can do this all in the comfort of your home. But that's not all. Enroll today, and you'll also get exclusive bonuses worth over $3,000 from a confidence course companion to a bilingual resources directory that will save you money. I've got you covered. And here's the cherry on top. Use code POD20, that's POD20, for an exclusive 20% off. Yes, you heard it right. 20% off your ticket to Confident Bilingual Parenting. Just enter POD20 at checkout. Visit milegacy.com and click on course. Start the year con fuerza and join the Confident Bilingual Parenting community and watch your child soar hablando español. So what would be the first step? Like I'm clueless, let's say I'm clueless about whether my county even offers a dual immersion school. Like, what do I do? Do I Google it? Do I talk to my school principal? If my children is in preschool, do I call the local elementary? Like, what happens? Do I call the county? Like, how do I find out what programs are offered in the county? In our case, and that is something that, trust me, we are battling every day. In our case, it is the bilingual program is not widely advertised, right? So like people Mm -hmm. sometimes don't know. You're absolutely right. You don't know and you don't learn about it. We were very lucky that the preschool immersion that we had, principal, what she used to do is she she used to invite alumni parents that were from the counties around the preschool that they're now in a bilingual program or even in a monolingual program, just in the more traditional way. And so these parents would come and they talk to us. It would be like a panel. They would come and they would talk to us and we're like, yes, we're here and this is why we chose it and and this is what it is. So, but I would say step number one is, yes, definitely go to your county's webpage and just look at 
all of the services that are offered. Look at all of the schools of the county that are offered. I think also another thing that's very important, again, I don't know if, if this is just at a state level or if it's throughout the United States, but it's also the way that it's zoned out and mapped out. That's also going to influence in terms of like, hey, maybe they do offer this option program, but you have to be in a certain, live in a certain zone of the county, right, in order to apply for it. Or maybe not. Maybe you can apply. It doesn't matter where you're at the county. As long as you're in this county, you can apply for it. So usually that information is there. You just have to look for it. The whole, I will say, the whole living situation is a huge component of your child's education. Mm -hmm. Because I know that when we were looking at schools, we bought this house because the elementary school that pertained to the count, the public elementary school that pertained to this zone was the highest top rated elementary school in the county. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was a big plus. However, we went in knowing that the middle school was not so great. So now for now, as I speak now in January, I'm going to be starting touring for middle schools. Here we are two years, less than two years out, and I'm already starting to tour middle schools because it's either going to mean that we attend a private school and start budgeting for that or that we figure out whether we're going to perhaps temporarily move in order to get her in a better middle school. So it's a lot to think about in terms Mm -hmm. of moving. And even like we were looking at a house near New York and Weehawken in Jersey, but literally the house we were about to put a down payment and I said, let me confirm the school and listen to how crazy across the street belonged to one zone and the other half mm-hmm. of the street belonged to mm-hmm. a different zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, the 100%. house, yep. the, the yep. apartment happened to be in one of the zones that was mm-hmm. with the not the right. better schools. And we didn't pull the plug be <laughs> only because of that. So that is a yeah. big part of a big component in doing your research for sure. Yes, that is huge. You're absolutely on point, Johnny. That is so huge. As I mentioned, I think the other really big theme or topic to look into is how is the board, how is your county and how is the board supporting the program? I think that's Mm. also important because a lot of the times, yes, the program exists, but it's always like a second thought, right? Is there any funding going in there? How do I find that out? Like, how do I know if my board is good? Because I wouldn't know what to like look for. (laughs) I know it's so difficult for that. I would say is connecting with the current parents of the school, which will probably can either know or direct you at least maybe to somebody within the PTA and the PTA would for sure let you know, hey, this is what we're doing or this is what we're hearing. Usually it's the PTA, the one that's going to be more active in terms of like coming with proposals into the board. Our program is very well supported, feel like a lot, but it's very well supported and it has a lot and our PTA is very active on it. So for instance, one of the biggest changes that the county just had that implemented this year is for this year, kindergartners and first graders started in an 80-20 model. So we have 80% in Spanish and 20% in English. This is a whole different model. It's a whole different world and a whole different experiment, really, that my youngest is going through, right? It's great. It's wonderful. It's based on a lot of research on how to actually develop a fully bilingual student. It's based on a lot of that research and it's based on 
other programs throughout other counties and other states within the United States and how they have implemented it. There's another one in Virginia Beach, just not too far from us. There's another county in Virginia Beach that had already implemented the 8020 program. It was a lot of research. It was a lot of like the people from the board and the people from the school going out into these other counties, learning from them on how it was implemented, learning from the research and learning from them how are what are the benefits and, and learning what are the benefits that they're seeing now to come to that decision. And then also, again, the PTA, we were very vocal. The community was also very vocal. We all came together to support the 8020. The 8020 model was finally passed, I want to say it was in 2021, and then decided to be implemented starting this year. That's really wonderful because it offers such a huge support in terms of that language exposure that children, especially in the early years that they need. One of the biggest mistakes that we have here in the U.S. is that we don't really start to implement a second language until middle school, and then it becomes like a requirement. But at that point, I mean, it's not that it's late, but really the goal golden years for children's language acquisition are zero to six. Maybe now they're saying up to 10 or 12. But that early, let's say the first 10 years of a child's life is really crucial in language acquisition and development. So we have it totally backwards here, totally backwards. I mean, Mm -hmm. 100%. You're absolutely right. It is that early stages of their development where they're more likely to acquire the language and for them to actually be able to become fully bilingual at the end of a program. And there's a difference. There's a big difference in terms of when you become an early bilingual versus a late bilingual, the brain processes the language differently and the advantages are different. So when a child acquires the language at an early age, they're going to benefit from all of those advantages that that you see the cognitive development, the fact that their brain processes information differently. So many things that doesn't necessarily happen later when they acquire the language later in life. So definitely want to take advantage of that. Right. And I think, Jani, that is something that I saw growing up and I see it today, right, with my friends. I have really good friends that they live in Mexico. They speak English. They come to the state to come visit, to go shopping, to whatnot. And they still come over and they hear me interacting my day to day. And they're like, I wouldn't be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And they still feel that they wouldn't be able to do that and to be like that fully bilingual person. And so that was for me that big moment of realization of like my kids need to have a bilingual program from the get-go. Yeah, the environment definitely plays a huge role. Speaking of environment, so when your children are learning in school and they have, well, one of your child has the 80-20, the other one 50-50. Yes. How do you help them out in terms of homework, in Mm -hmm. terms of anything else academically? Like, do they have certain subjects in one language versus the other? Like, is math only in Spanish versus math in English? Like, how do you balance that? So the program itself, it's already there in terms of like, they have already defined it's math and science and reading and writing at this stage with, because they're still in the lower elementary grades. So it's reading, writing, math and science, all that is 
in Spanish. We're also very lucky that some of the specials, some of our specials teachers are also bilingual. And so that's also amazing. So they get to have art one day in English, one day in Spanish. They get to have music one day in English if it's with Miss O, one day in Spanish if, if it's with Miss Casada. So that is such a great, great advantage as well. I think that, and that is also something that makes it a little bit challenging sometimes on how these programs are supported and, and how much support these programs need. Because of, of course, you also need to think through what are the aptitudes and what are the requirements for the professors that you want within your classes. The other school, for instance, at the same county does not have as many special teachers that are bilingual. So they don't get as much exposure, right? So this is really neat to also be able to have, we even have language specialists, a language specialist that is bilingual. One of our counselors is bilingual as well. And so it's great when we have them. It creates the challenge when you don't have the people and when you have to think through what are the requirements, the hiring requirements for those programs. So that is why it's also so important to learn and to get more involved. I know, I like, I mean, trust me, I was also one of those people that I was like, no, don't tell me that you're going to drag me into a board meeting. Why are you going to do that? But at the end of the day, that is what's going to make the difference. Because at the end of the day, if we're not there, if we're not a society that advocates and that speaks out for our children, nobody's going to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to be, believe me, at Victoria School, they know me, the principal, everybody, the counselor knows me. Why? Because I'm the first one emailing, making sure I may not be at the parent-teacher meetings. I am in the district meetings. I watch them virtually. I like to be informed because you have to be informed. You have to be involved. Mm -hmm. And when the teachers know that you are involved and that you are taking that first step upon yourself to contact them and reach out to them, they pay attention. Yes. They pay attention. Absolutely. And the one that benefits really is going to be your child. Yes. Yes. And you know what, Yanni, it goes both ways, right? It's not only um, the one there just looking out for my child, but it's also, again, we have to build that community within, within the school as well. And it's not only I'm advocating for X, Y, or Z, but it's also like, okay, we don't have X, Y. What have you done? What can I do at the board level to support your principal? And that's a lot of the conversations that we have with our principal today. I'm also part of the PTA. We have a monthly meeting with the principal. Every single month, we're talking, okay, what else are we missing? What else are we advocating for? Right now, for instance, we want a Spanish reading specialist. Okay, that's what we're advocating for. We're presenting that to the board. There is a DLI subcommittee that we're presenting that proposal to. We need a reading specialist, especially Especially now that we have an 80-20 model, we have to have a reading specialist in Spanish to support the 80-20 model for the kids, right? So we're building up that case to bring it up to the board so that it's on the 2024 budget. So it's that creating really that partnership and that collaboration with the school as well as building that community, right? Like we are a community, we're a school community right. and we need to support each other because at the end of the day, the child will benefit. It's all of the students are going to benefit. You mentioned that some of the kids are English speakers, like it's 50% English speakers and then the other 50 Spanish speakers, correct? What happens with the parents that perhaps do not speak Spanish and do have the children enrolled in a dual language immersion? Like what has been your experience with those parents? Like, do they seek out more support? Because I can imagine that it can be a lot harder for them. Yes, that is always our topic, whether it's for a back to school night or whether it's a D 
CLI information session. That is always the topic in there. So there's a lot of resources that our county offers. There's a lot of resources that the DLI program offers as well. And then there's also a lot of programs around, to be honest. So there's like summer programs that are like summer programs in Spanish. There's the community libraries. We have noticed they have also beefed up a little bit more in, in English speaking or in bilingual books. Bilingual books, I think they're wonderful. It is something that at the beginning, to be honest, I was like, no, 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 it has to be in Spanish. I want the mm-hmm, book in mm-hmm. Spanish. I just want them to see in Spanish. But honestly, for these families, it is so much easier to, to, to be able to like sit down and read along with their kids and understand what's going on in the story and whatnot. And even if at the end of the day, they're speaking to them in English or asking them about the story in English, they are sitting and they're having that moment with them. And it's just the being there and the doing it with your kids what's really going to count and what's really going to continue to support them. And so, yes, there's always the seeking out the resources of how can I do this? How can I help? And how can I support more my child? A lot of the other things that we also try to encourage is the grade level play dates as well, Mm -hmm. so that if they are in English speaking only or in Spanish speaking only households, we all come together. And because we are this community, we encourage the kids to play in in Spanish. It's a little bit difficult because still English is still the social language. We live yeah. in the and English is still the social language. Mm-hmm. But it's just try to encouraging a little bit more on, on that for the kids and just really seeking the support for that. And, and it would be a lot of asking your teachers, asking the principal. Like they always have like really great resources to share and just learning a little bit more from them, I think. Yeah, you can't be shy. I mean, you have to be able to like speak up and ask questions mm-hmm. because as you mentioned, this isn't something that is necessarily advertised or promoted widely. So when you want more resources for your family, for your children, you have to be the one asking. You have to be the one stepping in and making, picking up the phone, making the calls and advocating really for your child's education. Any last tips or words of wisdom for any parent wanting to send their children to a dual immersion school? I mean, again, I think it's it's a lot of research. Yes. So do your research. <laughs> I know it is what it is. That part, there's no there's no other way. I would say it's it's a lot. Let, let's get the research in. Talk a lot of, to a lot of the parents, whether it's alumni, like maybe they had their children and they are already in the middle school, in the high school that you can talk to them about. Talk to the, the parents that are current parents as well in there. Make sure that you're going to the information sessions. They are really, really, really good. I know it's always not the most convenient. Sometimes it's a lot of juggling around schedules. Trust me, we're all always juggling around stuff, but it's really worth. It's really worth because it's going to give you a lot of the resources and it may not answer every single one of your questions, but if it answers one or two and then gives you some resources to learn more for the rest, then that's going to give you the information that you want or that you would like to actually have that at hand and make an informed decision for your child. I love that. Lizzie, thank you so much for doing a fast round of questions coming up. We are back and it is a show tradition that we ask our guests the same fast round of questions. However, because Lizzie has been on already, we're going to do it (laughs) a little bit differently this time. We're going to do a special holiday edition. Oh, nice. 
Yes. Lizzie, what is your fondest memory of Navidad? Yo creo que es, so I grew up with my grandparents and ir con la abuela al mercado a comprar el musgo y más figuritas para el nacimiento de Nativity. So in Mexico, you put up the Nativity and then there's this musgo, which is like, it's kind of like a roll of, it's not grass per se, but it looks like a roll of grass. And then Nativity has become a huge scene at home. Like our whole patio was the Nativity. And so they're, they're really, really huge. And so you roll this out because it's supposed to be the, the grass, you know, of Bethlehem. And then you do like this huge scene of a lot of the different people that are coming and, and la peregrinación that they're coming over to meet Jesus. And there was always like a lot of different figures, whether it was like the little child with the, con el borreguito or some people went even to lengths to put like even like little cascaditas y rios. Y it, it's a really big thing. And so it's just the of like putting it up and doing the whole thing. I love that. I love that. What is your favorite holiday Latino dish to pass down? Oof. So I'm the worst Mexican because I don't cook. <laughs> That's okay. We've had plenty of moms that don't cook. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, no te <laughs> or bake or any of that. But in the household, our favorites is always pan de dulce. El sweet Mexican bread is it's always a favorite. Whether it's the seasonal, which we're going to have as for El Día de los Reyes, we have Rosca de Reyes or just the regular bread for like every day. I think that's a staple in our house. <laughs> Who doesn't like bread, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, finish the sentence. My favorite villancico is or holiday song. <laughs> Yo creo que campanas de Belén, pero los niños no paran de cantar el burrito sabanero, así que traigo el burrito sabanero. <laughs> They all no, love that one. In my head. <laughs> That's good from generation to generation. Yes. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite bicho? Bicho. Ooh. There's so many. Like one that you catch yourself saying a lot or that your kids like, mom, what? <laughs> oh my God. So like this one's hilarious. I just told the kids not long ago. I did something. It was probably like we were going somewhere and I took a wrong turn or something along those lines. Because I remember we're in the car and I go like... <gasps> Se me fueron las cabras. They were like laughing out their bellies. They're like, what? ¿Cuáles cabras? What are you talking about? <laughs> and so now for everything is se me fueron las cabras. But they say it. <laughs> They're the ones, se me fueron las cabras, mamá. <laughs> or they tell me, se te fueron las cabras, mamá. <laughs> so, 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 yes. Funny. Esas cabras se nos andan yendo. <laughs> too, too funny. What is your favorite New Year's Eve superstition oh my gosh the travel one 100 that is so funny so yesterday <laughs> we were recommendation by the way so there is this new book called alegría en el mundo i'll send you mm -hmm. the link later it is in english there's an english version there's a spanish version it talks about how different parts of the world celebrate christmas and it has a lot of different countries it's got india philippines mexico colombia mm -hmm. i love it because it's got like from everywhere really it's a little snippet of like oh this is colombia it's el de las velitas and it starts mm -hmm. on december 7th mexico es las posadas and this is what it is and so it's really nice it's a really nice one anyways it just came we just got it yesterday so we read it 
yesterday. And so we started talking about like, hey, what are our traditions as a family? And last year, it was the first time that we did this one with the kids. But we go through the whole thing in in, in Mikasa. And also we go through like the 12 graves. They had already done that. But what was new this year, they, they say it a little bit later. And we did the broom. So we did the broom and we also did the luggage and they loved the luggage. So what we did is, and I think I, I did this more for them so that it's a little bit more visually. Mm-hmm. No, porque la superstición es nada más agarra la maleta y salta a correr, ¿no? Para uh-huh. que, para que viajes ese año. Das la vuelta a la manzana, como decimos. Das la vuelta a la manzana para que viajes ese año. We knew we were going to have some travels for this year. So what we did is let's grab, we had some pictures of, of Tony and I visiting those places. And so I was like, let's grab those pictures. We put them in mm-hmm. the suitcase and then you grab your suitcase and we go around. And so that's what we did. And so that it was a little bit more visual for them, right? I love that. And so that's what we did. And so this year, Diego, yesterday, he was like, oh, mama, we got to put the picture of Paris and we got to put this picture of Mexico and we got to put this picture of here. <laughs> and, and, and he's got his lungs up where he wants to go for next year. So I I'm love like, it. Did you hear that, Tony? <laughs> Do you hear where we're traveling next year? <laughs> I love it. So anyways, but yes, that I think the suitcase is by far the, the family favorite one. <laughs> I love that. Meanwhile, the neighbors are like, where are they going? Where, what are you doing? These people <laughs> running around at midnight with their suitcases. <laughs> yes. Oh, too funny. What do you want your kids to remember about Las Navidades? I think that those traditions we have between Tony's family, that they're Italian, old school Italian, and then my family, Mexican, we have such rich and fun traditions, I think. And so I really loved hearing yesterday, especially when they both started remembering. So like what we do here, usually starting December, because, you know, there's always a lot of things to do usually, especially here in the area. So every weekend I try to book them something different. So we go, we do the Christmas lights. We go, we do the, the nutcracker. We go, we do ice. Those little things that are just kind of like building up to and leading to. But then also when we go upstate and Tony's family, we have have the big dinner but they also they sing carols after the dinner which I think it's really cute and the kids remember that they were like oh you gotta say your favorite song and then we all sing it and then one of Santa's helpers comes and so and they love that so I think it's just it's remembering those fun times right like it's it's a fun time it's a time of joy at the end of the day it, it, that's that's what it is it's, it's a time of joy because Jesus was born and so I think that's that's mainly the um, what I would like them to remember and to hold dearly. I love that. Lizzie, thank you so much for being on and sharing your words of wisdom. We'll see you very soon again. Thank you, Johnny. So good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Lizzie, for educating us on your dual immersion school experience with your children. Here are this episode's key takeaways. One, enrolling your child in a dual language school is a big family decision. Make sure everyone in the home is on board. Two, do lots of research when looking into dual immersion schools and programs. Some may be limited to specific zones. Contact the county district to see what programs are available. Three, not every dual immersion school is of high quality. Talk to existing parents or former alumni to get a real perspective on the quality of the school. Four, find 
Find local community support. Talk to local immersion preschools, libraries, and community groups to get more information and to support you in this journey. Five, give yourself time. Finding the right school for your child and their needs takes time. Some programs may even be on a lottery basis. Knowing what is available ahead of time helps you and your family make the necessary changes in time. Finally, don't feel alone. Know you have an online community right here, happy and willing to help. If you have any questions, be sure to comment in the podcast platform or visit the latinamomlegacy.com and click on today's episode to leave your questions or comments. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Latina Mom Legacy podcast. If you found today's episode helpful, please be sure to share it with a friend or leave a positive comment or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. For show notes and links, visit your podcast platform or the latinamomlegacy.com. Hasta la próxima. Ciao, ciao.